Hello, I'm Daniel. This is my podcast, Sharpening the Mind. I am a meditation teacher and also a labor activist in Kansas City, Missouri. I teach classes in meditation and Buddhism at the Rime Buddhist Center, as well as a few other places. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Hello, I'm Daniel. I am going to give a talk from the Way of the Bodhisattva today. And the version I'm using is called Entering the Way of the Bodhisattva. It came out this year. This is the sacred text by Shantideva. And I'm going to read from it and comment on it today. So, but this version I'm using is called Entering the Way of the Bodhisattva. And it's by... Um, it's by Shantideva, but it's translated with commentary by Kenpo David Karma Shoful. So if you want to get it, that is what it is. And I'll put a link in the notes if you do want to get it and follow along. I'm going to do a series of these. Um, so first of all, I'm going to talk about what a bodhisattva is, in case you don't know. The, the way of the bodhisattva is the way of compassion and wisdom, of realizing your own boundless potential. It comes from understanding that enlightenment is our true nature, that we have basic goodness and wakefulness that is fundamental to our being. So that's that's the opposite of some other points of view. It's the opposite of thinking that we're bad at our core. It's no, at our core, we are good. We are awake. Okay. Bodhicitta is what the diligence of the bodhisattva is based on. So I, I skipped over this and I shouldn't. Bodhisattva means enlightening or awaken awakening being. So if we are on this path of trying to open our hearts, of trying to cultivate wisdom and mindfulness and awareness, then bodhisattvas are what we are. We are part of something because we're on this path. And so that that is what that term means in this context. Bodhicitta is um, a quality. It means mind of awakening. It's that quality that all of our diligence is based on. It means mind of awakening. It's what's helping us to overcome the delusions that keep us from seeing our true nature. These delusions are things that we can overcome. They're impermanent like everything else. They may obscure our minds, but we can overcome them. Bodhicitta is our tool, our tool for doing this. It combines emptiness, compassion, and wisdom. To engage wisdom, we have to work on overcoming our attachment to ourselves. We have to stop being so selfish all the time. And to engage compassion, we have to work on overcoming our possessiveness and our aggression. We want to stop making enemies out of the world all the time. And to engage emptiness, we have to learn to relate to our basic goodness in a way that is direct and complete. So in this way, bodhicitta is central to what we call Mahayana or great vehicle Buddhist teachings. And you don't have to know that. It's the basis of being awake and freeing our minds. We don't cultivate the awakened state as something separate from ourselves or as something new. We're trying to realize we already have this basic goodness as part of our being. It has always been there. And just engaging bodhicitta brings us greater vision and potential. It brings us to boundless compassion 
for ourselves and others. When we engage bodhicitta, we stop being so afraid of and controlled by our suffering. We gain new levels of patience and diligence. We also develop a kind of bravery. We're like spiritual warriors, willing to see the suffering of the world and face it in order to save ourselves and others. This is the way of the Bodhisattva. So, I'm going to read this. This section is called, this is chapter one. It's called Explaining the Benefits of Bodhicitta. And I'm going to read it and comment on it. So here is how it begins. I prostrate to all Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. I prostrate with respect to the Shugatas who have the Dharmakaya and their offspring and also to all worthy of veneration. I'll teach in brief, according to the scriptures, the way to enter the Bodhisattva's vows. So what is this business about prostrating? He um, He's just expressing that he knows and he wants you to know that he is standing on the shoulders of what has come before. He's not taking credit for this. He's saying we are part of something bigger than ourselves. And I am bowing to that. So that is what many texts start with something like that. And he goes on to say, I won't say anything not said before, nor have I any skill in poetry. Thus, I have not intended this for others. I've written it to cultivate my mind. So Shantideva, um, he was sort of bullied in that uh, he had no friends and he lived in a monastery with hundreds of other Buddhist monks. And they kind of tried to set him up to embarrass him by asking him to give a teaching because they wanted him to leave. They didn't like him. Okay. He was not, he didn't have friends. He wasn't social. He didn't hang out with them. He didn't talk to them. And for that, it made them sort of suspicious and not like him very much. Okay. So they set him up and they said, okay, we'll give a teaching Shanti Deva. And so he's being humble here, which is a normal thing in sacred text is saying, well, it's, I'm just, you know, I'm bringing you this. It's not that special. I'm not that good of a speaker. And humility is not rare in this kind in this kind of teaching. So he's saying, like, I just wrote this as my own notes, and I'm going to share it with you because I'm having to share a teaching. Okay? Okay. Meanwhile, this will increase the power of my faith so that I cultivate the virtues. If someone else whose fortune equals mine should see it, then it may be meaningful. I've gained what is most difficult to get, the leisures and resources to benefit beings. If I do not accomplish good while here, how will I ever come to them again? So there's this concept that we sometimes talk about in Buddhism, and it is called precious human life. And it's to say, like, I have been born as a human being in this time and place, and I have the ability because of that to make the most of it, 
and to try to make life better for myself, to try to help myself and also others, right? Because I've been born as a human being, I can reflect on how lucky I am to be in this circumstance. Sometimes we don't feel lucky, of course, but I can reflect on how lucky I am because the truth is we could have been born as animals. We could have been born hundreds of years ago and not have access to the comfort that we have now and also the access to spiritual teachings that we have now. Because a few hundred years ago, we wouldn't have had the access we have at this point, right? And also, if you had been, um, presumably most people listening to this live in wealthy countries where you can be reasonably comfortable, whereas there are people born in plenty of places in the world where there's no, where it's hard to get food and water, just clean water, right? So this is just, there's nothing behind that. This is just what happened to you. This is just where you were born. And we can reflect on how lucky we are. And therefore, we need to take it seriously, trying to make, trying to transform ourselves into better people and trying to make the world a better place. We should take that seriously because we have this precious human life. We're lucky, okay? And I know plenty of times in life we don't feel lucky. I, I acknowledge that. Just as between the clouds on pitch black nights, lightning reveals the heaven for an instant, thoughts of the merits of the world arise for a rare moment through the Buddha's power. He's essentially saying that paying attention is powerful, okay? Thus, virtues are perpetually weak. The powers of misdeeds are terribly dreadful. Besides the wish for perfect enlightenment, what other virtue triumphs over them? If you've ever... Um, you, We can all relate to having the experience where you have a pleasant interaction with 100 people, but then... Uh, one person, there's one person we're mad at and we lash out at, and that's the person we remember, and that's the person everyone else remembers too, right? It's sort of that thing. The power of misdeeds are terribly dreadful. It is. Uh, you can pay all your bills on time, but if you fall behind on one, that has an impact, right? And it's hard to get caught up again. The power of misdeeds are terribly dreadful. The lords of sages who have contemplated for many eons see just this will help. Immeasurable multitudes of beings through this will gain the sublime bliss with ease. So I need you to know this is an introductory chapter. And it's an aspect of it is telling us how important this text is and how helpful it is. Okay. And the center, basically the center of the teaching is compassion, love, kindness. And we need to have that centered in our minds compassion love kindness open your heart that's what this is about this is the path of the open heart okay no one should ever forsake bodhicitta who wants to dispel beings unhappiness vanquish the hundreds of miseries of existence and partake in many hundreds of joys if they rouse bodhicitta in an instant the wretched fettered in samsara's prison are named the offspring of the shugatas and revered in the worlds of gods and humans um so samsara is the world of suffering is the life we're leading when we just are reacting to our emotional baggage all the time, where we are torn apart by trivial things. It's it's ordinary life. And the Shugatas, it just means it's another way of saying awakened beings. So it's saying that just from setting this intention to open our hearts and minds, we are part of something. 
We are like children of the Buddhas. We are part of something greater than ourselves. And we are part of this lineage of bodhisattvas, okay? So essentially the text is telling us like, this thing you're doing is important and significant. Don't think it's not, okay? Just like the greatest kind of alchemy, it takes this unclean body and transforms it into a priceless jewel, a Buddha's body. So firmly grasp hold of bodhicitta. If we train in wisdom and compassion, it changes everything. Examined well by the sole leader of beings, that's the Buddha, with his immeasurable mind, it has great value. So you who wish to leave the places of beings, firmly grasp hold of precious bodhicitta. We can rely on this. That's this mind of compassion, this open heart, we can rely on this, and we should. Here are some, now there are a couple verses of metaphors. All other virtues like banana trees are spent once they have produced a result. The tree of bodhicitta constantly bears fruit, thus thriving inexhaustibly. Like those who in great danger rely on heroes, why would the careful not rely on that which liberates them in a single instant, even if they have done horrendous wrongs? Like the inferno at an age's end, it burns up great misdeeds in a single instant. The wise protector Maitreya explained its countless benefits to Sudana. Um, that text being referenced, uh, I may explore that later, but it's just a reference to a text that Shantideva knew the other monks knew. Okay. To summarize, it's understood there are two types of bodhicitta, the mind aspiring for awakening and engagement in awakening. So what's the difference? The mind aspiring for awakening is setting an intention to be open-hearted, compassionate, and kind. Okay. It's wishing good things for others. It's sending thoughts and prayers. Engagement in awakening is doing things. It's getting out there and helping people. It's donating time, money, or energy to a cause. That is engagement in awakening. Um, life's about showing up sometimes. Just as they know the difference between the wish to go and going, the why should contrast between these two respectively. So doing things is way more meaningful than just, just positive thoughts, okay? Even in samsara, great results come from aspiring bodhicitta, though unlike engaged bodhicitta, the merit is not continuous. But from the moment when for the sake of freeing beings in infinite realms, you truly take up this intent with irreversible resolve, from that time on, the many powers of merit flow unremitting in torrents equal to the sky, even when you're asleep or careless. Merit is just, it makes your life better. Opening your heart makes your life better. Helping others makes your life better. We make a better world for ourselves and others. Okay. The Tathagata, that's another name for the Buddha, himself explained this and its reasons for the sake of beings inclined to the foundation in the sutra requested by Subahu. And again, Shantideva is referencing a text that his audience knows. If someone who benevolently intends to merely eliminate sharp pains in sentient beings' heads possesses immeasurable merit, what need to speak of those who wish to rid all sentient beings of untold distresses and endow each one with boundless qualities? So if you care about one thing and you're helping people with one thing, that's really meaningful. If you wish for people to get help with one thing, that's really meaningful. But we're talking about a kind of open-hearted, full compassion that includes everyone. 
we want good things for everyone. That is hard to do at times. We want good things for everyone. We want to try to help as many people as we can in our lives, or at least not hurt them. Who has such altruism as this? Does even a father or a mother, or do the gods or else the rishis, do even Brahmas harbor this? If sentient beings have never had such a wish as this before, even for their own sake and dreams, how could they have it for another? The wish to benefit beings that others have never had for their own sake. This special jewel of mind is born, a wonder without precedent. The cause of every wanderer's joy, the cure for being suffering. How could one take the measure of the merit of this precious mind? It's really important. The open heart is really important. If merely intending to benefit is greater than revering the Buddha, what need to speak of striving for the sake of all beings' happiness? So he's saying, he's, I don't know that he's calling people out, but he is saying, and this may be controversial, but he's saying getting out and doing things and helping people is more important than revering the Buddha. It's more important than chanting the Buddha's name. It's more important than bowing to Buddha statues or giving offerings. Just getting out. Life's about showing up. Getting out and helping people is of enormously more benefit. And even, even just thinking of helping people is more benefit, just having that intention. They wish to cast off suffering, but rush towards suffering itself. They wish for happiness, but deluded, crush their own pleasure like a foe. For those deprived of happiness who suffer many miseries, this satisfies with every pleasure and severs every suffering. Opening your heart is going to cut down your suffering. And that thing about um, rushing towards suffering, that's sort of when we know what the best choice is and we make the wrong choice anyway. Maybe we convince ourselves the wrong choice is the right one. Um, I'm thinking of like dating the wrong person, trying to start a relationship with the wrong person or um, eating too much. Eating too much of a sweet food because you're enjoying eating it, but your stomach's going to hurt later and you know that and you keep eating it. That is rushing towards suffering. And it's not good for us in a lot of ways. It also will dispel delusion. How could there be such good as this? How could there be a friend like this? How could there be such merit as this? If to reciprocate a kind deed is praiseworthy for a short while, what need to speak of bodhisattvas who do good unsolicited? So we're not doing this to feel good about ourselves. We're not doing it so people will think we're nice. We want to help others because helping others is what Buddhas do what bodhisattvas do. It's just the thing to do to bring harmony to the world, to make life better for ourselves and others. An open heart is the way, okay? People extol as something good those who provide a few with regular meals, donating scornfully for a short time, plain food that satisfies for half a day. What need to speak of those who always give to beings of untold number for a long time, the sublime happiness of the Shugatas fulfilling every one of their desires. Someone who rouses a malicious thought towards such a patron, offspring of the victors, it's another word for enlightened beings, will dwell in hell as many eons as the count of their bad thoughts, the sage has said. I see hell as a metaphor here. Um, hell is a state of mind. It's when you're just making your problems worse and you're spiraling into incredible unhappiness. Um, and that's what he's talking about here. But the results of someone feeling faith proliferate in far greater abundance with bodhisattvas, even grave events don't bring misdeeds. Good naturally increases. So if we're on this path, if we're cultivating wisdom and compassion, 
to the highest level we can, then grave events are not going to tear us down. We're going to be able to face this fleeting world, the struggles we have in life with a sense of calm. And we're not going to fall apart. This is the last verse. I prostrate to the bodies of those in whom this jewel, the sublime attitude is born. Even harming them will lead to happiness. I go for refuge in the wellspring of joy. So we're taking refuge in this open-hearted practice. We're taking refuge in our kindness, in trying to help others. And we're part of something because we've set out on this journey. We're part of something. We're not alone. And we want to leave no one out. No one gets left out of your heart here, okay? So that is it for today. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me. This has been chapter one from the text, Entering the Way of the Bodhisattva. Have a good day. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.